I thought about a Valentine's Day uh, episode, but the Lord laid that on my heart, and I think there's a reason for it. You know, Jesus came to help us with real problems, and uh, there are a lot of people that have a lot of difficult things they're going through, and today I'm going to share from Timothy uh, the heart of Apostle Paul to Pastor Timothy at Ephesus, the importance of us understanding that this life, Shakespeare might say, is it's just a play, it's a stage, but in this life, there's spiritual warfare going on. The things that we do, the choices we make, they matter, and Lord wants to help us, whatever you're going through today. So I want to encourage you as we look at our screen and get ready to worship, the next slide, Paul is there writing a very important epistle to Timothy, and Timothy in that bottom picture is a man of passion in a city like Ephesus that worshipped the false goddess Diane. All types of wickedness took place in the city of Ephesus in first century and Roman Greco culture. Notice in the next slide. Not long ago, a Colorado teen, according to one of our leading net news networks, said that allegedly she fell in love online and tried to join ISIS fighters in Syria. Notice the next slide. U.S. Secretary of Defense confirmed that at least 100 Americans have joined sides with the terrorist organization ISIS. Next slide. Around us there is spiritual warfare taking place. And just like in physical warfare, in physical protection of military troops, uh, it's important to understand what is right, what is wrong, what is true. And in the first part of 1 Timothy 1, Paul had addressed Timothy, my son, my child, Pastor Timothy, concerning the false teachers that were teaching all kinds of false doctrine. They were teaching legalism and liberalism and asceticism and things that were not in conjunction with the true teaching of God's word, of the gospel of Christ, of salvation by grace through faith. As we think about war and think about this idea of a battleship or a cruise ship, it got me to studying out what is the largest cruise ship in the world. You see on the screen, I guess, it is, I know you've not been on this one maybe, Joy and Johnny, I've been on a lot of different ones. And a little birdie told me that Johnny loves Alaska, but this is a beautiful cruise ship. It is the largest cruise ship in the world. It's called Icon of the Seas. I could give you all of the data for how big it is, and I know it can hold maximum up to 7,600 passengers. It's a lot of people, isn't it, Miss Joy? Largest cruise ship in the world. Uh, beside it, on the screen, you see the USS Zumwalt. It is a class destroyer that is one of, if not the largest, that the United States of America makes. It is a battleship, and it is a powerful battleship. So we go to the next screen. We see an important statement made. Somewhere in the world, some, someone sometimes... Someone, somewhere is at war. Some people are deceived and think that their cause is right. They seek validation, confirmation, and participation in a cause. 
Maybe that causes their interpretation of justice, sometimes due to fear. They seek for the alleged truth, believing that their cause is right, just, and justified. But ladies and gentlemen, the real war is spiritual warfare. In fact, last week we shared through verse 17, and verse 17 is kind of a synopsis of the truth of God's Word concerning Paul's writing to Timothy, that Paul is telling Timothy that ultimately that Christ, that Jesus, is the King, King Jesus we sometimes call him, verse 17, to the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. And so there is a true God. There is a spiritual, though invisible, warfare taking place. It's supernatural. It's paranormal. It's a battle for people's mind, a battle for human souls, a battle for the heart. And so we see the largest cruise ship in the world. We see the largest, one of the largest battleships in the world. But the premise of my sermon today from 1 Timothy 1 18 through 20, chapter 2, 1 through 4 is, the, back to the slide, <laughs> I was almost there. The church is not a cruise ship where the crew serves the guests. The church is a battleship where it's all hands on deck, every member on mission. That's an important point to understand. The church should not be a cruise ship, but rather should be a battleship. Over the years, I've heard various analogies used by pastors and leaders in churches concerning the fact that the church is to be a hospital of sorts. The analogy of helping those who are hurting, those in need. Uh, the church should be a lighthouse of sorts. It should shine the gospel of hope and truth to all people so that people might find safety and refuge. And even though all of those analogies represent some teaching of scripture the spiritual warfare that we are going through right now in this world in our churches is real people sometimes may question whether god is real many people question whether the devil is real but ladies and gentlemen the biblical teaching from the first century when jesus christ walked on planet earth is clear the devil is real and god is real and there is a spiritual warfare between those who follow Christ and those who are blinded by the God of this world, Satan. That warfare is taking place whether people acknowledge it or not, whether people with a lot of education recognizing it or not. It is true. Remember Elisha and his servant as they're surrounded and besieged by the enemy with thousands? And Elisha, because he walked with God, knew that God and his angelic host, invisible though they may have been, were present, were near. In fact, Elisha told his servant at that moment, look around you. And in that moment, a quick glimpse, he saw that there were hundreds, thousands, an innumerable amount of heavenly hosts surrounding him. I like the book written by Frank Peretti. It's a novel, but based upon teaching of Scripture. Frank Peretti is a Christian apologist and author, and he writes a book, This Present Darkness. The idea behind that book is that even in this church right now, there are angels, both good and evil, that are working, fighting for the cause or against the cause of Christ. 
It's a deep thought to understand that though we may not see with the visible eye with our empirical senses, there is spiritual warfare taking place. I want to share as we go to the next uh, slide three basic truths. We're going to read from 1 Timothy 1, 18-22, 1-4 is our church, a battleship or cruise ship. Next slide. We'll start reading in verse 18, preparing for spiritual warfare, putting on the armor of God. Next slide. And notice uh, the charge of Christ Jesus to Timothy to battle faithfully, the choice of the congregation and of each individual in the congregation to cruise has consequences. The call for Christians to battle by prayer and intercession. And that is our main points today. Uh, let's read as we begin 1 Timothy chapter 1, reading in the ESV translation, 1 Timothy 1 verse 18, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, my son, in accordance with the prophecy previously made about you, that by them you may wage or fight the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. To come to the knowledge of the truth. We want to share this morning about the importance of the church being a battleship, not a cruise ship. In our lives, we need to look to Christ for everything. Next slide. Let's pray before we begin. Dear Father, as we focus on our text today, 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, begin verse 18, I ask that you would show us by your Holy Spirit, open our eyes, open my eyes, even as I've studied and sought for your understanding and wisdom, even show me things that I'm not aware of in this moment. The Holy Spirit, that you would be pleased with the teaching of your objective truth and that the Holy Spirit would speak to each subjective heart in a way that will bring honor and glory to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Pray, dear Father, that you will have your will and way in all that's said and done today. In Jesus' name, amen. The charge of Christ Jesus to Timothy to keep battling faithfully. Certainly, Timothy may have been a little discouraged. You can certainly see why in the first chapter in understanding the culture and the wickedness and the challenges of the church at Ephesus. But he is given this charge. Notice in verse 18. We see this right away. Second verse, a word in the verse. This charge. That word, as you see on the screen, a Greek word for charge, paranagalia, is a military word. It is literally the word for command. And, and the word charge is used seven times throughout all of 1 Timothy. Three times the word charge is used in chapter 1. And it's certainly a word to remind us of the importance 
that God, through the Apostle Paul, was reminding Timothy that he had an order from the commander-in-chief. The commander-in-chief had given him an order, had charged him. And notice it says, not only this charge, I entrust to you. Timothy had been entrusted as a child of God, as a son of God, as a pastor elder, as a missionary, in accordance with the prophecies made in his commissioning to go forward and to share the gospel with all people, especially in the town of Ephesus in the first century. And so we see here that Timothy is charged to go forward. And notice the verse 18 concludes with this thought, that by them you may wage the good warfare. The NLT interprets it, you fight well in the Lord's battle. So Timothy is being given a charge, a command, an instruction to follow the commander-in-chief's orders. And that is to stand up for what is right. To stand against false teachers and false teaching. To be faithful to share the truth of who Christ is. John Harper, a Scottish Baptist pastor and widower, was on board the Titanic when it was struck by an iceberg and sank. John Harper put his young daughter and niece in a lifeboat. He stayed behind to preach and witness to many of the passengers on the Titanic as it began to sink. As the Titanic finally sunk, John Harper jumped into the freezing waters, but he did not survive. Being the caretaker of two young children, he could have easily gotten into a lifeboat, but he gave up his life for others. To share Christ with those as they were about to die as the Titanic sank. What an amazing example of courage. Of being faithful, John Harper was, to share the gospel even as he drowned. Even as others were about to drown in the sinking of the Titanic. The charge or command of Christ Jesus is not an option. It's not an optional thing. It is a reminder that the commander-in-chief expected Timothy to keep on keeping on. To wage spiritual warfare. To understand that he was in a spiritual war with the false teaching that was taking place. With the wickedness that surrounded him in the city of Ephesus. Notice on the screen, instead of lessons today, I am giving us scripture. <laughs> 1 Timothy 6 tells us later in the book of Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Here, Timothy is being charged to keep on keeping on. In verse 19, the first part, A, it says, holding faith and a good conscience. I like what some have pointed out. Uh, concerning this statement of holding a good conscience along with faith, John Stott and Dr. John MacArthur agrees with John Stott. John Stott feels faith in this context refers to the objective aspect that you should hold on to the truth, the faith, the faith in Christ, rather than the subjective but the personal conscience should be based upon the truth of God's word. 
Somebody said years ago, let your conscience be your guide. Not good advice unless your conscience is indwelled by the Holy Spirit and he is your guide. And so we understand here in verse 19 that Paul, by inspiration of Christ Jesus, is telling Timothy, keep on fighting the good fight of faith. Keep your faith in God and his word. Have a good conscience as well. One pastor said that ultimately it's not the perfection or lack of inconsistency or hypocrisy in the messenger. It is ultimately that the message of God's word is more important than anyone. Did you hear that? Doesn't matter if it's Billy Graham. Doesn't matter if it's David Jeremiah. Doesn't matter if it's John MacArthur. Doesn't matter if it's the Pope. It doesn't matter if it's Mother Teresa. It doesn't matter if it's any pastor or elder or teacher or rabbi. The Word of God is the, our authority. It is the objective truth. And faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the what? Word of God. The Holy Bible. Did you see in our video clip in real scenarios of frustration and anger and temptation? The Word of God was that which gave hope to those making choices. And so, Timothy is charged to hold on to his faith, to keep on keeping on. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 on the screen. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Our weapons are not physical, ladies and gentlemen. Now, we're going to get to the solution in our third and final point today. And that is prayer and intercession. But I remember this little song, Brother Sean. Growing up as a kid, you can talk about me, you can talk about me, just as much as you please, just as much as you please, you can talk about me, you can talk about me, just as much as you please, just as much as you please, you can talk about me just as much as you please, I'll talk about you down on my knees. <laughs> All my sins, wash away, praise the Lord. But there's a truth to that. Our fight is a spiritual warfare. We have to cry out to God in prayer to win that battle. It cannot be won by carnal methods. Oh yeah, people get their way. A lot of times the wrong people get what they want in this lifetime, both in the church and outside the church. But I am telling you there is coming a day in which all of us will be judged. And Christ Jesus who is the one righteous, just person, who is sinless Savior, God and man both completely. He has the authority on the word of God to administer justice for all. There's coming a day. The charge of Christ Jesus and Timothy is to keep on fighting the good fight of faith. And it is primarily a spiritual warfare. We have power when we get on our knees. We spend time praying. As we continue, we notice the next slide. Not only is the importance of the charge of Christ Jesus to Timothy to be faithful, to battle faithfully in the spiritual warfare, but notice the choice of the congregation to get on a cruise ship, as it were, and to cruise 
It has consequences. Notice we read in verse 19b, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. In verse 20, Paul tells Timothy two particular folks, Hymenaeus and Alexander, who have been handed over to Satan. Scholars agree that this is likely some form of church discipline. Many scholars believe that these two named specifically were two of the false teachers who were teaching various things that were contradictory to the teaching of grace through faith in Christ alone. And so there's a choice of the congregation. We can choose to get on the cruise ship and cruise through life. Or we can get on the battleship and stand up as soldiers for Christ. Not physically fighting, but spiritually praying and crying out to God. We talked about that in Sunday school. I shared a story from Pastor Jim Simbala, a man who believes in prayer. And uh, I believe that is how God can change any church, even today. When people really start praying, things can happen. In that analogy I shared during Sunday school, it was like a labor room as people began to cry out. I, I saw a little tad of that, Brandon. I didn't ask you to do that. You had no idea. A few weeks ago, Brandon just felt the need to pray for me because of my dad's situation. I appreciate that. See, we can know all the doctrine and theology of prayer, but prayer is ultimately just crying out to God. It is our helplessness as finite human beings crying out to a God who can do anything. Notice Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is a crying out to God, a choice to be made. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, whosoever believes in him, you have to believe. James 1, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Hebrews 10, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. One uh, scholar said, it's not always a matter of knowledge. It's a matter of our choice, of our will. Stephen Cole points out, quite often doctrinal errors are the result of moral problems rather than intellectual problems. People who teach false doctrine often do so to avoid the moral implications of God's truth in their own lives, says Stephen Cole. Hendrickson, the scholar, says a Christian must be both a good soldier and a good sailor. A good sailor does not thrust away or discard the rudder of the ship. The good conscience, one that obeys the dictates of God's word as applied by the Holy Spirit, is the rudder guiding the believer's vessel into the safe harbor of everlasting rest. The choice of the congregation of each individual must be to either choose Christ and to choose to follow the teaching of God's word and God's man, or they can follow and believe just about anything. Over the years, Pastor Gary, I've kind of wondered about why some churches that were so big had so many people and I knew things about the pastor that evidently the congregation didn't know. Let me tell you something. It's going to be kind of uh, maybe a rude awakening for some of you. 
you're at the church following the advice and wisdom and guidance and the inspiration of whoever you choose because of your choice. And there are a lot of people who follow people for the wrong reasons. They get caught up in it. They get caught up in the feeling. They get caught up in the entertainment. They get caught up in the persona. They get caught up in the hype. And they don't go to a good church that teaches God's word and preaches God's word, that is true to God's word. They go to somewhere sometimes that sounds politically correct and socially correct and churchy correct. They forget that the most important thing that Isha read in our scripture last Sunday was that Ecclesiastes 12 says that no matter what you do, good or bad, Every one of us will one day stand before God and give an account of all that we do. And so, it's important to understand spiritual choices. When, writes Hybert, when it uses the word here that they did not accept, but they rejected this, the Greek word there, they made shipwreck of their faith. Some scholars get caught up in arguing and debating. Does that mean these were Christians or not Christians? Bottom line is it doesn't matter. They weren't serving the Lord if their ship was wrecked. <laughs> Somebody said fellowship is when two fellows get in the same ship. Depends on what ship you're in. If you're in a ship that's going to wreck because it doesn't have the right doctrine and it doesn't live the right doctrine... It's not just knowing the right thing, it's doing the right thing. Need to make sure we're doing both. Disaster falls alike on faith and the faith when a good conscience is rejected or rather ejected. In fact, in 1 Timothy 1, if you scroll back to verse 5, what did uh, Paul tell Timothy in verse 5 in an earlier week of preaching? He said, the aim of our charge is love. That issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. You see the emphasis there on faith and conscience found again in 18 and 19a of 1 Timothy 1. People can harden their conscience against the teaching of God's word. They can make a choice. Let me give you an example. The work of Christ convinces us that without him, we cannot achieve our goal that without him we are doomed by God. And only Christ can save us. Guess who wrote these words? A deep and sensitive thinker, 17-year-old man. He revealed this spiritual wisdom as he wrote a letter. Only Christ can save us. He had been baptized into the Lutheran church in 1824. And at age 6, he was baptized. At age 16, he was confirmed. Now, as he graduated from high school, he wrote an essay on a religious subject. He chose to explore the union of believers with Christ. The fruit of our union with Christ, this man wrote, is our willingness to sacrifice ourselves for our fellow man. And the joy which the Epicureans and their superficial philosophy sought in vain is a joy known only to the innocent heart, united with Christ, and through Christ, we are united to God. Guess who wrote that? Nine years later, this same man in 1844, his name was Karl Marx. Nine years later, after writing about Christ, he abandoned all Christian devotion. 
In fact, his militant atheism and philosophical ideas of man's struggle established him as one of the most influential figures of the 20th century. Paul is reminding Timothy, there is a choice to cruise, to choose your way for the congregation for each person. And that choice has consequences. We are to draw near to Christ. Finally, we go to our last point, next slide. The call for Christians to battle by prayer and intercession. Here's a quote from A.W. Tozer, a favorite author of mine. He writes a lot about prayer, and he says in this, quote, anything God has ever done, he can do now. Anything God has ever done anywhere, he can do here. Anything God has ever done for anyone, he can do for you, end of quote. I like that. Tozer saying, the God that we serve is the same God of the Old Testament, the same God of the New Testament. He's the same God today. We have to make the choice to follow him, to obey him, to trust him, to witness for him, to spend time in his word, to pray and seek his face. So next slide, our final point is the call for Christians to battle by prayer and intercession. Again, I, I want us to focus on the scripture today. Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Are you praying? Are you involved in intercessory prayer? What does that mean? That means pleading, begging, asking God, please help save my loved one. Please help heal my dear loved one and friend. Notice James 5, 16b, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. If you really look at the Greek for the word effective and fervent, it is a statement, as one scholar said, that when you cry out and pray to God, you might only do it for one or two minutes, but you do it with real passion. Kind of like Pastor Gary will probably be, I would be tonight, when he's pulling for his 49ers to Score a touchdown, you know. I don't know about you, Gary. I don't know about you, Sean. But when somebody scores, I go, yeah. <laughs> Being an NC State fan, I don't get to do that very often. <laughs> right, Miss Karen? Brother Phil? We have to suffer sometimes for Jesus. Not really, but the idea of calling upon Christ in spiritual batter through prayer and intercession. We notice that in chapter 2, 1 through 4. In fact, that's the context. We read this, praying, verse 2, for kings and all who are in high positions. The context is praying that God will deliver people from the false teaching of false uh, teachers. That God will help us see the light to realize spiritual warfare is accomplished by getting on the battlefield and the battleship for him and getting involved in prayer and intercession. What does he use? Supplications, verse 1. Prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving. They're all different words that are involved in the way we ought to pray. And pray for everybody. Pray for those in leadership that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Verse 3. This is good and pleasing. In the sight of God our Savior, verse 4, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Hebrews 4 says, so let us come boldly to the throne of the gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. The little boy went to his first day of school in first grade. 
when the clock hands reached 12 noon, he got up and started to go home as he was used to doing in kindergarten the year before. The teacher decided to take a positive approach. She said, sweetheart, in kindergarten, you only had to stay till noon. But this year, you're in first grade, and you get to stay all day. He looked at her with shock on his face and said, who signed me up for this anyway? Sometimes we wonder, God, why'd you sign me up for the suffering and troubles of this life? Don't really want to do that. Chuck Swindoll tells a story. A, a missionary in another country was sitting at a second-story window. She was handed a letter from home, and as she opened the letter, a $10 bill fell out. She was pleasantly surprised, but as she read the letter, her eyes were distracted by the movement of a stranger down below who was dressed in poor, shabby, tattered clothes. She couldn't get that off her mind. So thinking he might need the money more than herself, she slipped the bill into an envelope and wrote on it, Don't Despair. The missionary lady threw the letter with the $10 bill out the window. The stranger below picked it up, tipped his hat, smiled at her, and left. The next day, she found the same man at her door. came home, and he handed her a roll of bills. When she asked what they were for, why are you giving me all this money? He said, well, here's 60 bucks you won, lady. Don't despair, paid five to one. <laughs> well, I guess she thought she was supposed to take, he was supposed to take $10 and go bet on a horse. And he was sharing with her the rewards. John Wesley was convinced that the prayers of God's people, rather than his preaching, accounted for the reason thousands came to Christ in his ministry that's why John Wesley wrote, God will do nothing except an answer to prayer. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe the call for Christians to battle by prayer and intercession is something that we at this church need to do like never before, that our world needs like never before. There's a time to have fun and rejoice with those who rejoice. I'm not going to call Brother Gary and laugh when the Chiefs win tonight. Hopefully he won't rub it in when they don't, but this life, we have things we enjoy. We have family, we have friends, we have loved ones. But this life is not all there is. There is something far more serious that we cannot see. There's spiritual warfare going on all around us. And we need to pull together, hold on to each other, and cling to our faith and a good conscience. 1 Timothy 1, 18, 19. Hold on to your faith. Hold on to the word of God. Keep living and doing what's right even when it's difficult and know that he will take care of you. He will take care of me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Dear Father, as we close in prayer today, we ask that you will help each person here to make a decision that will be pleasing to you. In our lives, we sometimes go through difficult days. It's not always easy. And today we want to remind your church and remind ourselves salvation is through the Lord we need Christ in our lives at all times we need the Holy Spirit to help us as believers and forgive us forgive us of our many failures sins and weaknesses we're all imperfect we're all spiritually broken we are all sinful and carnal at times but we thank you for your grace that lifts us up
And that when we really begin to pray, things can happen. Prayer can change things. If it's the right kind of prayer. If it's effectual and fervent and righteous. Thy will be done. Dear Father, we ask today that we as believers would realize we we are talking about a real God. God is alive in heaven right now. And our God's not dead. He's not on vacation. He's not some statue. He can answer and has answered prayers. So please answer prayer in our lives. We need you, Lord, as we sing this song together. May we be lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen.